Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I want you to stop what you're doing unless you're driving and go sign up for our newsletter. We have the link in the show notes. And you need to get on it now because it is full of information. Our Lit newsletter comes out once a week and it has everything that's happening in the Lit community, including classes, workshops, retreats, free classes, on and on. Plus, we have blog with recipes, articles, and every week we have a PT corner written by one of the many PTs in our Lit community. So we can help you with knee pain, text neck issues, pelvic floor discomfort, so much more. So join our newsletter, go to that link in the show notes. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I welcome another physical therapist, Dr. Jono Taves. Dr. Jono is a physical therapist and owner of and founder of Novera The Headache Center, and he's also a host of another podcast called The Headache Doctor. After he received his doctorate in physical therapy from the Mayo Clinic, he was introduced to this hands-on physical therapy that focused on treatment of the neck and jaw and specializes in headaches. I mean, I had never heard of a physical therapist who specialized in this, so it was super interesting for me. And it was not surprising at all that a lot of what we discussed really aligns, both of us looking at posture, habits, people that aren't moving enough, and then learning how to listen to your body's signals where the pain is might not actually be where the issue is. We talk about this and much more, so I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Jono. Welcome, Jono. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, I am. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start from the beginning. Um, as another physical therapist, I always am curious how you decided to become a PT? How did you want to get in, what, what inspired you to get into this profession? Yeah, it might be a, well, I was going to say a boring story, but maybe a common one within our profession. So I was a college athlete. I played soccer. And um, so my decision to, for the school I went to was purely just on like, you know, the soccer team they had. And so um, the degree my freshman year was an afterthought, but I was excited about exercise, right? Like I, I'd exercise basically every day of my life. And so exercise science seemed like a good fit. Um, and then I got into kind of halfway through my sophomore year and my advisor was like, you know, you can't really, um, well, the exercise science degree maybe doesn't translate to the marketplace as well 
as some other degrees, right? Um, I loved the de the degree um, and what I was learning, but uh, it was just a natural progression to go into physical therapy. So I shadowed, and physical therapists seemed to love what they do, and they got to work with with people in a way that um, got to connect at a deeper level than just like maybe your traditional um, healthcare uh, provider interaction, and still understanding the body and kind of to a deeper level how we move and how we function. That was fascinating to me. And so fortunately I got into physical therapy school and uh, got to go down that road. And um, yeah, I kind of took some tangents here and there and it created my own path in this headache and migraine world. But yeah, that's the that's the short of it. Well, it's interesting because yes, I think you're a lot of PTs are like you um, and, and me, like I had always loved movement and loved the physicality of it, loved the body, loved health and wellness. Um, and probably like me, I, maybe you, maybe I'm assuming, but I feel like a lot of people think like, if you came from a sports world, you're going to go and work in a sports world, like sports medicine or orthopedics. Was that part of your path or did you immediately start to find this kind of alternative part of PT, which is actually relatively, I think a small niche. Yeah, I, the sports medicine world was attractive to me. I, I don't know. I, I think I went through phases within physical therapy school. I don't quite remember the timeline of it. When I started, it, all of it was just novel. And so I was excited about kind of every aspect. The clinical experiences really, you know, shaped uh, what I was interested in. Um, the sports medicine world uh, did seem a bit more attractive. Uh, even before school or, or in my program, I got connected with a few uh, manual therapists in the outpatient world. And uh, one of the things I was really looking for was just that the impact on the patient I was working with. I remember at one point I thought, man, why don't I go back to school for orthopedic surgery, you know, go to med school? And because they feel like they're having the biggest impact on the patient that, you know, whether I'm working with in the hospital or just rehabbing their knee after. Um, not to devalue that side of physical therapy, but I just wanted to like have the greatest impact on my patient. And so I um, I was attracted to these these manual therapists because they really seemed to have a firm grasp on what they were doing. There was uh, one gentleman out in Minnesota that uh, people would travel from all around the state to come see him and just very confident uh, in, in his skill set and his ability. And um, that was attractive to me. So within the physical therapy program itself, like the sports medicine routes uh, was probably where I was at to start. But then that sort of evolved into um, probably just more general, like spine health and manual therapy approach to things. Mm. I love that. And I, I was similar. I, I, and then I went into neuro and older clients. So it was like a very different, I think it is all in a way what you're open to and also what you're exposed to and, and seeing, um, like you mentioned, the the impact. So like with neuro and I just saw there was such a, and there was a lot of manual with um, um, neurodevelopmental um, training that was my specialization. And I loved that as well as versus, I think sometimes in a sports medicine clinic, un unfortunately, you're really reduced to quickly teaching some exercises that um, are kind of a standard cookie cutter. And it's hard because of insurance to do much more than that. Um, with the manual therapy, was it was it that you were with one person that really showed you like this person? Was this the person that you were doing um, some kind of clinic um, clinical internship with? Yeah, yeah. So 
I didn't technically have a um, rotation with this gentleman, but mm -hmm. he came in to um, teach a weekend course for our class. It was, I mean, it was elective, so whoever wanted to go, and he taught it on the jaw and the upper part of the neck. Um, so the mechanics, the biomechanics of the upper cervical spine, and um, actually, I mean, he he taught us some techniques for the jaw, for the neck, um, kind of your basic techniques is if you're going to work on and treat these conditions. But just understanding the mechanics of it was really fascinating to me. Um, just the fact that our neck could hold up this 10 to 12 pound head and be really dynamic. And uh, for some reason, I I could just be misremembering, but I really don't think we had much education in uh, my program, at least I can speak for myself, on the upper cervical spine, the mechanics of it. Uh, and I don't think there was any connection between that and, and headaches. Um, and so if I wouldn't have had that experience, I think I would have graduated with really uh, very little to no, under like minimal understanding of what it means to help someone with a headache. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that because he was able to connect a few of those dots. And then I went and shadowed him uh, during a just kind of a free week that I had. And uh, seeing him inpatient care just got me even more excited. Mm, okay. So talk to us a little bit about like, um, the relationship of headaches and the cervical spine. I mean, I'm sure we, we have a lot of really intelligent listeners who know quite a bit about the body, but like you said, this is not even often covered in, um, in just kind of general physical therapy programs. What is the relationship? Why, why yeah. does this happen? <laughs> yeah, it's, if I had to simplify it down, um, I mean, referral pain, referred pain, uh, is very common and it's known. So the most uh, widely known area where we experience or uh, understand referred pain is in a heart attack, right? So um, your heart is having an issue, it's not getting the oxygen it needs, and then you're you're experiencing the shoulder pain or neck pain. So there's nothing wrong with your shoulder or your neck. Um, you're just, you're feeling pain there. And so the brain is perceiving that as what's happening. So when we think of pain, we... Uh, have to understand it as being subjective. So the location of it, even the type of sensory input that we experience um, can't always be trusted. So it's not like this one-to-one -one relationship. So if you have eye pain, we can't assume your eye is the problem. If you have temple pain, we can't assume your temple is the problem. <clears throat> so we, um, but in our, really the Western medicine model, if you see a primary care doctor, go to a neurologist, uh, they are functioning primarily off of that assumption that, uh, if you have eye pain, let's screen your eye. Let's do, let's do an X-ray or an MRI, uh, or send you to an ophthalmologist. And uh, just if you pass all the screens, um, then we just need to manage the pain itself. Okay, so that's kind of the narrative. When we're connecting the neck to uh, the head or the face, so anywhere from the the base of the skull to C3, so the upper part of the cervical spine, anywhere in there can refer pain into the head or the face. Okay. So we know this, they've in, in, in injected that area and it refers pain into the temple or behind the eye. So those referral patterns are known, uh, they're researched, they're, they're out there. Um, and so what happens there is an intense pain signal coming from the upper part of the neck uh, travels through the brainstem. And if, if you really want to get into the neuroanatomy of this, it gets kind of fun, but the trigeminal cervical nucleus is this nucleus that kind of wraps up all of these sensory uh, signals from the head and the face. So the trigeminal nerve, we've got these three branches, picks up sensations from our face, 
the occipital nerve from the back of our head, and then uh, C1 through C3 up here in the top part of the neck. They all meet up in this nucleus in the brainstem, and then it sends it up through like the thalamus, which is processing the sensory information. Then it hits the cortex, and we we actually like our brain is trying to understand what's happening, and it just it oftentimes gets the location of the pain wrong, and even the type of input wrong. So uh, these auras, I just um, I just did a podcast on like what is an aura, and oftentimes our brain is just perceiving a pain signal as as something else that's happening, and so that's kind of the short of it. The the overlooked part of the upper, so if you think like, okay, the neck has a problem um, and we do a CT or we do an MRI, it's a still image. And that's really the problem. And as physical therapists, as you know, like we want things to move. Um, and even in the chiropractic world, like they're generally working off of, you know, a still image uh, of alignment or something like that. And so physical therapists are uniquely positioned to understand and treat this type of thing because the upper part of the neck is so dynamic and the biomechanics of it um, are so essential to proper neck function. And when people lose that, that's where the irritation and pain comes from. And then we just experience that in our head. Okay. So when they, when they lose it, um, can you give some examples of losing that mobility or that ability to control the neck? Is this posturally related? Is this, do they have to have had some sustain something, um, some kind of impact to their head or is this just like daily life? Yeah, great question. Um, it's kind of like all the above. So if I'm going to lay out what most most of the time is happening, the most common scenario where it's going to be two to three times more likely that this is going to show up in a female and likely kind of in adolescence. So um, this, is, this is me taking my clinical experience and understanding of the body and sort of telling a story, okay? So as a child, uh, our head is disproportionately larger than the rest of our body. Uh, and our neck is relatively unstable, and then we're pretty active, so we're moving quite a bit. And so I do think as a child, uh, especially I see this in in little girls that are in gymnastics or dance, like they're just, they're very mobile, and that movement's good, and the exercise is good, so don't get me wrong there. But oftentimes their neck might just, it might not be ready to support those movements of maybe this 10-pound head that they're carrying around. It's about the weight of a bowling ball. And so that's one thing that it can add stress uh, to the neck, and then over time, it's uh, going to lead to this this sort of pattern or these restrictions that we see. Uh, posture is another big one. I mean, if you're if you're sedentary, your head's forward. So even a 15 degree uh, angle of your neck, and, you know, as opposed to just being upright in neutral position, takes your head from from feeling like a 10 to 12 pound weight to about 27 pounds to 30 pounds, uh, and then that that grows exponentially as your head continues to move forward. So. When people are sitting like that, the stress that's placed on the neck is increased, and so that can definitely be part of it. Of course, trauma, um, whiplash injuries. So again, your head weighs about the weight of a bowling ball. So if you get thrown one direction and your body can't uh, anticipate that movement quick enough to accommodate to it, it's it's going to lead to some shearing effect and some trauma in the neck. Um, and then we've got some developmental things that we're seeing. So uh, in so yeah, essentially, as a child is is raised and their jaws developed and they develop a sucking reflex and we need to make sure their their tongue is freed up to be able to develop the upper palate and that their airways develop properly. And if it's not, they, they do compensate by their head will thrust forward and their jaw will retract. And so we see these kind of compensations that will lead to increased tension in that suboccipital area. 
which um, we'll work with other providers to to try to solve that as well. But we're seeing a lot of airway issues. Um, so, but if I'm going to boil it down, it's either time's on your side or time's kind of against you. Mm-hmm. And so the assumption that I make is not that like you should go through life and everything's fine. Um, it's you're going through life and there's gravity weighing down on you and physical stress. And if you don't do anything to counteract that, you're going to find yourself in a spot of having tension. Okay. Um, so you don't really need like that, like trauma or that incident. Um, it's just having a vacuum of like nothing to be helpful for your neck that, uh, can be enough. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, I see this a lot, um, in postural imbalances is people will be having, um, cervogenic headaches, they'll have fogginess, you know, just like kind of brain fog, um, you know, pain behind the eye, et cetera. And I, I definitely have found that um, it seems to be provoked, at least by being sedentary, being out of alignment, whether it's that forward head, that tech neck. And um, how much of do, do you think with the posture, with the head sliding forward, how much of you think is compromising just that blood flow exchange um, through the brainstem from the from the upper cervical spine. Yeah, that's a really good question. I I do know that there uh, there is some research to say that just uh, mechanically a, a change in resting posture and tension built up through the neck can have an impact on blood flow. Um, it's an interesting conversation. I I think when we look at historically what headaches or migraines were attributed to, and maybe maybe migraine in particular. It was uh, assumed to be this vascular problem, um, and so and then there's a lot of providers uh, currently that um, will claim like the increased blood flow is what is actually happening to reduce, you know, migraine symptoms, things like that. Honestly, I I'm not quite there yet. I think if there is a benefit of increased blood flow, that's a really good thing. I mean, blood uh, to <laughs> any system in the body is going to be helpful, and so let's get that benefit. Um, my my philosophy or what I feel like or what I think is happening or believe is happening that's really benefiting the patient is probably more mechanical and actually reducing the the irritant itself that's sending the pain signal. Um, but yeah, that's it, it's a good question. And that, that thought of like, is blood not getting to my head is definitely out there. So it's or, worth Or even just with increased tension in the tissues, is there like some kind of, I mean, yeah, that itself can elicit a pain response. Um, but it also feels like it's stagnant. Like you, if you are, I I mean, I know I call it the spackle that's right underneath the, um, right underneath the skull, that area that can just feel like you need to get in there. And I'm sure with your manual therapy, you, you help a lot of areas and that must be one of them, but it's almost like the increased neural tension is also whether it's blood flow or, um, just perceived tension that your that your brain is thinking it uh, is a threat, and that causes this alarm system of sorts, which might be in the form of a headache. Totally. And, yeah. I mean, a lot of times, like what I say is, our body is just telling us to change or do something different, and there's only mm-hmm. so many ways it can tell us. So, a headache, in a way, I'm imagining, is your 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 brain's um, way of saying whatever you're doing, we need to you know, shift it up. Is, is that how you would, how do you explain headaches to people? Because obviously this is the billion dollar question, like what causes headaches and what can be done about them? 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm almost to the point. This this might. Um, well, I'm almost to the point where I'm. If someone comes in with with head pain, I associate with the neck almost as much as if you came with knee pain. I'd assume your knee was the problem. Okay. Um, so as far as like, which is to say, you probably you aren't you aren't just looking there, <laughs> right? You're no. not going to just look at the knee. You're going to look at all the other stuff for anybody who's listening. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so the neck the neck might be the like generating the problem, um, but there's all these different things that have led to it. So one one thing we found that's uh, going to answer your question here is when COVID hit, you know, we had to figure out how to be creative and and do virtual stuff, and so. Um, I started to work with with patients um, virtually, and so you know, no hands on. Like I, I can't I can't do any of my manual therapy stuff. And so what I would do is just coach people through um, what it means to move and have a healthy amount of movement throughout your day. I, essentially, that's what it boils down to. And uh, it actually maybe surprised me a little bit, but they they got better. And it wasn't as if like. The results were like not quite as good. I mean, there are some patients where it's like, yeah, I like I just want you to come out here so you can work with me in person. Um, but there's a lot of people that we've worked with that have never touched, that have seen marked improvements in their in their symptoms, and uh, so yeah, that the head pain is very much uh, your body telling you that um, likely you need to incorporate movement. I mean, there there are lots of other uh, dynamics that come to play. Um, with head pain in particular, but yeah, you if if you have headaches or migraines, uh, I would say the first step, and, and maybe a safe assumption, is to assume that you have some sort of neck tension or irritation, and your body just wants you to move. So we need to get you more dynamic. We need to get you up. We need to get you doing some sort of exercise routine. I want you to get your heart rate up two to three times a week at least. Um, I want you standing more. Like I'm standing here. Uh, you know, all those things are are going to really. Um, we're seeing them fare very well with our patients. Hi, friends. I'm reminding you we have an upcoming Lit Europe tour, and we would love for you to join us. Whether you live in Europe or not, get on to these workshops. Maybe travel with us and go from one place to another. I mean, we're going to Paris. We're going to Frankfurt, Germany. Then we're heading to Salzburg, Austria. We're going to have the best time, and we would love to see you. There's nothing like an in-person workshop experience to fine-tune your movement, get some real educational nuggets for better movement on and off the mat. And by the way, we have the best time together. We would love to give you a hug and help you move your best and feel your best. So join us in Europe this summer. Check out the show notes for all the details. I love that. I actually was going to make an Instagram um, reels, which I'll do at some point. And it was like my own experience. Like I had been sleeping in a, not my own bed, a pillow. I was having a lot of this lower cervical, upper thoracic, just irritation. And I was stretching and all that. And it just was like a low hum, nothing major. And then I did some stuff where I was doing big movements. I added a little, I mean, I had one pound weights. This was for a class. And I just noticed everything was gone, like literally, you know, and, and I had stretched and I had massaged it and all those things that manually I know to do and know how mm -hmm. to kind of adjust myself. And then it was actually just doing these bigger movement patterns, loading it, unloading it, moving all around. And it just... Like it just went away. And that was just obviously my own small testimonial and I'm very balanced, but it's, yeah, I think to your point, sometimes it's as easy as that, but people want 
Um, not always, but sometimes they just want an answer and a quick fix. And that could be in the form of a migraine pill or something. So um, I'm, I'm on that note, I'm, I'm assuming you get people who have had chronic migraines. And I don't know exactly what that's defined by, but I'm imagining it's like a regular occurrence of a migraine, which I've only had twice in my life. And I only had my first migraine five years ago. And up until then, I, I have to say, um, kind of sheepishly, when somebody would say they had a migraine, they couldn't do something. I was like, really? Is it that bad? And then I had one. And I was like, okay, I had this so I can actually empathize. Because it is. It's really, um, it just makes you feel like crap. Uh, so how often are you working with people who have these chronic migraine conditions? Yeah. So the practice has been open coming up on four and a half years. And there's been... Over 600 people that we've been able to help, and probably 80 percent, maybe even 90 percent of those, come to us with the, the diagnosis of migraine or migraine with aura. Um, I do think so. If you look at the international classification of headache disorders, there's like dozens of different diagnoses. Um, at least the major ones, we've seen almost all of them and, and been able to help almost all of them. Um, we have, you know, 80 mid 80% success rate. And by success, it's, um, we want you to go through a process and feel like you have control over your situation. Mm. Um, but yeah, most of our patients are coming to us with that migraine diagnosis and they're, they're dealing with it. Um, most of the time it's weekly and, uh, maybe daily. Um, so it's not uncommon for us to get, uh, we've had the chronic daily headache diagnosis several times. Um, you know, maybe two or three times a week, that uh, people are just feeling this debilitating pain. And we've worked with some pretty extreme cases where, you know, they can't work, um, like they're just depressed. Uh, like it just takes over their entire life. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I mean, we have people flying from all, all across the country. Uh, just, just and, and I say that um, not so much to reflect on us, but more so like it's just a huge issue. With, yeah, people you know, are desperate. People's lives. I mean, you know, yes. if you're going to fly to another state, that means you yes. probably you've probably uh, you know sourced all the stuff around you and, and, and yeah 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 I so this is very interesting because you know um, when people think of physical therapy myself included we're thinking of much more kind of gross motor skills and function and when you hear of headaches and dealing with that it doesn't really n always seem to fall I, I haven't heard of it falling under the physical therapy umbrella but I think you've already articulated really clearly why it does which is that movement is is a huge part of the medicine for helping a headache would you say that's accurate yeah yeah I would say um, if you don't want to take medicine medicine you you have to start moving um so yeah, I guess I guess a basic overview of the mechanics of the neck. So when you turn your head, most people that come to see us can rotate their head and their range of motion looks pretty good. Now, the the gold standard of care in a primary care doctor's office is if you can turn your head all the way and it's pain-free, then your neck isn't the issue. Okay? So that's that's the extent of that evaluation. Most of the patients we deal with, that's true for them. They can turn their head all the way right and left and look up and down side to side. And it's pain-free. It might feel a little stiff, but it's pain-free. And so- So it's not a mobility happens, issue, in other words. Well, it is a mobility issue. There's just compensations. Mm. There's, uh, you know, we've, we've got other joints that can pick up the slack. And that's true for really anywhere in the body. And so you're able to compensate. But when it comes to the upper part of the neck, you need to be able to, to 
isolate and really understand what needs to happen there. So C1 and C2. So C2 is has a thumb-like structure. It sits uh, on C1, which is shaped like a donut, and it rotates. That's its only job. So it does about 45 degrees of rotation right and left. And then the head sitting on the first bone in our neck allows us to nod. Um, and so we should have about 10 degrees of forward nodding. And so being able to look at those joints specifically and understand what's happening there um, is really the, the proper way to understand and diagnose like this as a neck issue. Uh, but that's why still image isn't really going to do that for us. And so if we stop at like, okay, do you have pain-free range of motion? And we took an x-ray. Um, there's so much more to that story, e even just palpation. I mean, um, you mentioned that sore spot and that mm -hmm. suboccipital area. Um, yeah, we, we have to feel that and we have to understand what we're feeling in order to properly diagnose if your neck has an issue or if there's tension there. Um, so yeah, physical therapists, I think this is, this is perfect uh, for what we've been trained to do. I love it. I love it. So would you say within that, talking about looking at movement and where something should be moving and something should be stable or where there's compensatory strategies, um, how much of your time are you spending on teaching more optimal movement, not just in the neck, but like thoracic spine, shoulders, pelvis, all of it? Yeah. Um, so it's a part of our treatment with every patient. I, it's probably... Um, because we have to rely solely on it when we're working virtual, um, it's probably a little bit more robust, but when someone's laying on the table and I'm working on them, we're, that's what we're talking about for the most part. <clears throat> and so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's basic things. So when I worked in different outpatient settings, one of the things that I, I saw as a problem, so if you get your really motivated patient and you give them a list of 20 exercises, that, like there are people that eat that up. But for the most part, like if we're working with people that are busy, they've got kids, they've got a job, you know, like they, they, they can't really like stop and, and carve out, you know, a half an hour, hour. Like, obviously I think we should all have some sense of control over that and be able to do that. But we try to just change the little things throughout their day. Right. Mm -hmm. So education on how you're standing, how you're sitting, um, little movements that you can incorporate throughout your day. Um, and then, even just sleeping position and what what I what I would love. So if you think of the dental industry, they've gotten everyone to brush their teeth and floss. Like I'm really envious of the the dental world, and like everyone goes to see a dentist, right? I uh, I talked. Here's to someone, hoping. I hope they do. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I have a I have a friend who's like I haven't seen the dentist in like ten years, and her teeth are great. I'm like, well, how do you do that? But anyways, um, I would love for, I would love in a sense for like everyone to have their physical therapist. And for them mm. to do two things, like there are two things like brushing teeth and flossing to keep their body healthy uh, as far as the musculoskeletal system and how it moves. So just kind of as an overview, I feel like um, the the prescriptive exercises are definitely helpful. Uh, but if we can just get people to think differently throughout their day through that education, that's kind of what we focus on. So what are the two things that you want them to do? Like the, the yeah. Think, yeah. So it, it can look different for different people, but for the most part, I want them to do something that gets their shoulders out of this forward posture uh, and their head as well. So like a pec stretch, you can lay in a foam roller, have your arms out to the side. Uh, and I love that because you can actually focus on your breathing, breathe through your diaphragm, mm -hmm. and you can just spend time there letting gravity pull you back. Um, for some people, I would say like a deep neck flexor exercise, like something to get your, yeah, your neck more stable. But I've actually been leaning more towards uh, really just a basic row. 
um, you taught, you mentioned that like contract and relax cycle that our muscles should be in. And we're, I'm just seeing these people that their muscles are never, they're never really relaxing. They're just mm-hmm. sort of always in some low grade state of having to do work. And so just having them with some resistance, move their shoulders through this range of motion. Um, so when it comes to the neck, I, and exercises, I, I oftentimes look to the shoulders just because all this tension travels and I'd rather approach it from from the shoulders if, if I'm going to give someone something to do at home. I love that. I think that's really smart because I I agree with you. I think so much of, we don't know which comes first, but we I truly believe if we kind of look down the chain, we're going to give our neck and our, you know, the position of our skull more of a fighting chance if we give it the structure from underneath for, that's totally. holding it up. And if you're, you know, collapsed in your rib cage, rounded shoulders or your pelvis or something, your head is just following that because it's not connected to anything. It's the farthest, it's the most distal from the ground. So it really needs um, the the stabilizing forces from underneath to, to be able to, like you said, relax and let go a little bit. Because I think in a way, and I'm curious your thoughts in terms of like this nervous system as well. I feel like when we're when those muscles, those suboccipital muscles, are constantly on, I imagine at some point at, that your nervous system is kind of feeling like you're in a stress response, even though you could be sitting at your desk doing you know nothing, looking at like the New York Times or whatever. But the brain doesn't know any different. It's just like getting this alert that you're constantly, you know looking around, even though you might not be, because those suboccipitals are are shortened and and contracted in in their effort to to stabilize that the the weight of your skull. Have you found that to be true that that because again, if people have pain, they're gonna have more stress. We don't know which comes first, but just from the position, do you think that that affects that nervous system response? Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting. We we've gone the, down this rabbit trail of trying to understand the vagus nerve there there are some studies uh like i guess early on in our understanding of the vagus nerve and how we can impact it like we do know that mechanically you can like stimulate or, or through uh like an electrical current or something like that you can stimulate the vagus nerve and that vagus nerve is going to um regulate our autonomic nervous system and if it's ramped up it's going to activate our parasympathetic nervous system so um the the neck and neck tension, especially like through this SCM muscle that runs along the front of our neck, and and just in general, um, we know that nerves can be impacted by you know the surrounding area. Just think of anyone that has neural tension. Uh, how much more likely are they to experience numbness, tingling, or blood flow getting to the nerve itself? Um, and so there, I think there is some impact on that vagus nerve that might be keeping someone in sort of a fight or flight state just because the the function of that vagus nerve is impacted. Um, but yeah, and, and brains... also where it where it travels is right near you know the brainstem itself. Um, mm-hmm. So that whole kind of compression of that area could could totally impact that that the vagus yeah. nerve. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and the the brain is always getting feedback um, from our musculoskeletal system. And so I really just think with some resistance, teaching your body how to get in that contracted and then relaxed. Like you almost need to give it some resistance. In order to let it calm down again, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, I you you know that better than anyone, and because uh, that's the core of which, or at least I would imagine, at the core of what you're trying to do is just get people more stable and their their musculoskeletal system to really function the way it should. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely going to have an impact on uh, our autonomic nervous system, uh, which just impacts so much. It really does. It really does. And this area, I mean, you're in the, you're kind of in the hot zone of all of it because it's where this input-output exchange is happening, and um, some of that just—it's almost like faulty wiring. It just—and um, and I think, like you said, just it could be small doses, because uh, like again, everything you said, I, I, I totally echo. Like it doesn't. There's a few people who are really going to be gung ho if you give them um, kind of a prescriptive set of exercises, but more people can actually make lasting and really optimal changes by just making small doses of changes throughout their day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, the small thing. So for example, I tell my patients all the time, like, you know, I have a standing desk, but I do have a chair as well. And sometimes I'll sit and I'll, um, I'll lean to one side, like I'll cross my legs and I'll lean to one side. My weight will be through one hip. And that, uh, kind of slight curvature translate up, translates up into my neck. And it probably only takes 15, 20 minutes. And I'm pretty aware of what my neck is feeling, but 15, 20 minutes, then I'll start to feel um, some level of tension in my neck. And so it's really just um, as a physical therapist, uh, I, you know, we're, we're more aware and we're in tune to what our mm-hmm. body is feeling, the impact that, it, you know, uh, yeah. standing position, sitting position, lack of movement. Uh, but I think the general population just sort of needs that education. Um, for example, like relaxing on the couch in the evening uh, in some weird position, that is that is almost perceived as like I'm giving my body a break. But that can be one of the worst things to do if you've just been sedentary all day and you're feeling sore and achy. Uh, I know you want to crash on the couch, but the better thing is going to be to get up and walk at least or like do some sort of movement. So I know I talk about a lot. It's so oxymoronic that we can be doing nothing and be tired from that. You know, whether it's sitting on a plane for five hours or sitting at a desk and then we're actually exhausted, we've done nothing. And so it really does, we need to think of that as that's our signal that we need to move because we're so stagnant. Our energy is like depleted having done nothing. We actually have to summon that energy and it doesn't usually take much. That's what's crazy and, and amazing is that we can really, um, I think that's like you you just tapped on it. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, you're so balanced. And I'm like, I think it's really I'm in tune. And I think if we can teach people to be more in tune with the signals and, and interpret them in the ways that that not not literally like I feel tired, therefore I should lay on the couch for six hours. More like I feel tired because I haven't done anything. So let me do like 10 minutes of movement, take, your, take a walk or something like you were saying. Um, I, I just... Yeah, some of it is like getting to know your body and the signals that it gives and not interpreting them so literally. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, um, I guess we we want to, on my podcast and what we do, we want to empower people. Mm. Um, and so it's sort of like bringing all this stuff to, uh, so that it's in reach. It feels, it feels doable. It feels like you don't have to, you know, climb Mount Everest or, even a 14er. Um, well, you just got a 14er. St- just... ha, he's a Colorado person. <laughs> Everybody's done know what a 14er. Look it yeah, up but in Colorado. Pikes, Pikes Peak is uh, right outside my window. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's attainable. And uh, the little things have a huge impact. And I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, it seems so simplistic to be like, oh man, I've got this terrible pain in my head. But if I just stand more 
it can feel better. Like mm. it feels too simplistic, but right. we do it over and over and it works. It's really crazy. Um, so for the people listening, just believe that your body needs movement. If you give it to it, it likely time will start being on your side. And then these things will um, potentially work themselves out. So if someone did want to work with you, Jono, how, where is the best place for people to find you? Yeah. So our website is our hub. Um, so NovaraHeadacheCenter.com, N-O-V-E-R-A, like new Wait, era. Yeah. So tell us about like how you came up with that title. Yeah. So I was just um, looking for kind of a unique name. I, I, Novara is out there, but I, when I was thinking of a name, I thought of it uh, myself. Uh, and maybe those people did for themselves too. But Novo is the Latin word for new and then era. So new era, new era, mm. what I want my patients to experience. And then uh, kind of what we want to provide as a healthcare provider. And so Novera Headache Center is the name of my practice. Um, if you're looking for something free to continue your understanding of what we're doing, the Headache Doctor podcast is is the best way to do that. So um, subscribe to that podcast. And then on TikTok, I, I put these helpful short videos of exercises and things. Uh, that's that's under the Headache Doctor. And then on Instagram and Facebook, we're at Novera Headache Center. Um, on the website, though, I mean, if you're local to Colorado, come see us in person. Uh, we do have uh, virtual uh, products. We have a course on our website, um, or we can kind of help help with like a health coaching uh, type product as well. Oh, that's terrific. Oh, that's so wonderful. Well, I'm so happy you're doing this and how how your own curiosity and experience just being around somebody who is helping others um, in this realm ha led you to where you are today. So thank you for taking the time and sharing all your nuggets with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. This is very generous and uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity. All right. Thank you. And everybody, make sure you check out Dr. Jono. And as always, I'm pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.